With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast. My name is Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegel. How you doing, buddy? It's Thursday, man. The weekend has begun. How are you doing? Dude, I am good. I am good. Back from vacation. Been uh, kind of working my way back into the swing of things after a few days in the mountains. Um, it, was, it was a nice break, though. It was a very nice break. Uh, got to... Relax a little bit, do a couple fun things, nothing too major. What about you, man? Uh, just same old, same old, man. Taking another Friday off, which I think I now I've got to go back and look. I think I have to take one more day off. So I think the only other Friday between now and Christmas, I'm now going to be taking off. <laughs> so, you know, short, okay. week, short, short weeks from here on out, because you yourself just got a nice short week. And at the end of the year, it's kind of nice to have to look forward to a day off like every week, right? <laughs> That's always nice. It, it's a good feeling. Um, yeah, I've been doing the, uh, like a day or two a week in the office and three days at home. So it's been kind of a, a mixed match here for a while, but you know, it'll be, it'll be nice at some point to get back into the regular group. But for now I'll, I'll take having Mondays and Fridays at my house. So <laughs> no commute, especially the Fridays after, uh, you know, recording on Thursday nights, watching the collegiate game, watching the pro game, you know, for you a while there watching baseball. It was like, I'm sure you were like, this is good. If I stay up to midnight and I sleep in, I can still wake up at 7.15, get in the shower and be ready to work by 7.35. Let's do it. That's the plan, man. Yeah. As long as I got 20 minutes to like get my head wet and you know throw on some clothes, man, that's all I need. Brush, brush my teeth. <laughs> Nothing too major. Nothing too major. <laughs> like you know, got got to throw the dad joke out there. All right, hell of a commute today, and then walk downstairs. <laughs> By the way, I'm looking at the Arkansas State game. They just ran, I believe, a punt return or just some sort of long play for a touchdown. So they're down 14 points. They have no rushing yards. <laughs> and they're only down oh, wow. zero. That is impressive. That is very wow. impressive. Yeah. So, man. all right. Well, folks, let's get to it, man. We're hobnobbing here, having a good time on Thursday night. Back to know your enemy. This week, the enemy, 
the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. Now they're coming in two and two, coming off a 17-point win over UVA. Their only other win this year is over Campbell with losses to NC State and Clemson. Now, you know, a lot of interesting pieces as me and Brian were doing the research this week and, you know, some some expected things, some unexpected things. So I'm going to click off with the one thing that I, I kind of didn't see coming. Um, Wake Forest has one of the better rushing offenses um, in the – uh, ACC and kind of solid in the country, ranking 41st overall, 165 yards a game at 3.88 carry or per carry with 13 touchdowns. Now, of the 13 touchdowns, Brian, good stat of the day here, 12 of them have been in the red zone. Okay. Um, which is number three in the country for red zone touchdowns. Um, they're led by number nine, Kenneth Walker, who is ranking as the 20, number 23 um, rusher in the country at 383 yards through four games with seven touchdowns. Um, that's fourth in the country. Um, he ranks 30th in yards per carry at 5.72. Um, Wake was his only P5 offer for this two-star. Um, you know, he continues to build from a strong session year of 579 yards. Um, now, you would think that's really good for Wake Forest. Well, they actually have a second really good running back as well, putting up some good numbers. Um, Christian Beal Smith, number 26, three-star. He's local to the 336 out of East Forsyth High School. So far, 256 yards rushing this year, 4.4 for rush, and getting in four touchdowns. Now, Brian, you know, Walker, UVA game last week, you probably saw the play that big 75-yard run for a touchdown, real game-breaker. Deal with a pretty nice longest run this year of 31 yards. Now, Brian, as you started looking at the tape with these two guys on the rushing attack, with this kind of mesh rushing attack, you know, what are you seeing? You know, these guys the same? Are they a little different? Uh, definitely different styles. Um, Walker, I mean, you, you talked about him. He's bu- he's busting the big runs, and he is a guy that. He is very patient in the backfield. He lets the blocks develop. He lets the linebackers get a fit and then makes his move, makes his decision of where he wants to go with the football. So what that ends up doing is that, you know, occasionally he'll have a big negative play because he's in the backfield with no forward momentum. But when things go the way he wants them to, he'll get an alley especially if those linebackers over pursue while he's dancing around in the backfield, all of a sudden you got an alley and all he has to really do is make a safety miss and he's off to the races there. And that's what happened against UVA on that long touchdown run. So he's the guy that's kind of going to you know, make things happen, wait it out and then burst through the hole and try to get a big gainer. Beal Smith is a little different. Um, He's going to read though that long mesh a little bit quicker. He's not going to kind of stand in the backfield. He's going to kind of get to where his point of attack is, and then once he reads the blocks, he's kind of more of a one cut and kind of gets up in there. So um, he's more consistent in terms of um, not not having any negative plays, but he's not the guy that's busting the big gainers um, as often as Walker. So kind of different styles. Um, Beal Smith's the guy that's going to kind of, you know, he, he's the jabber and, and Walker's kind of the guy that's throwing the haymakers. 
Which one worries you more against our defense, not any other? Against our defense, definitely Walker. Okay. Walker bothers me more. Um, He breaks more tackles. And because of his patience and because of some of the problems we've had with run fits so far, yeah, uh, yeah, and some some safety tackling, obviously some of those didn't have our front-line guys, but, but some of those things definitely worry me in terms of, you know, we want to contain some of those big runs, especially after what we saw against another different style RPO, but also an RPO rushing attack from UNC. So definitely watch out for Walker, but don't sleep on Beal Smith either. Got it. Now I also want to talk about, you know, obviously we want to talk about the passing game here. Let's talk about Sam Hartman. You know, Hartman was a starter his freshman year. The team finished seven and six. Um, last year, obviously, he was unseated by Jamie Newman, but he did play some. So essentially, over his first two years, he was in 13 games where he threw for, you know, 2,800 yards, 20 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. So he, you know, he's coming in with significant experience. Um, you know, th- this isn't typically what you'd see out of a redshirt sophomore with that, this many games played. Um, now, Brian, so far this year, 893 yards passing, 62% completion. Kind of solid there, but he's only passed for three touchdowns with no interceptions. Um, the one thing I find really interesting is he is a top 15 in pass per completion at 14.4. It's almost nine at per attempt. So that I'm I'm, I'm going to kind of ask you in a second what you what you're seeing. He's not putting up crazy numbers, but he seems to be getting him in a position to score based off the red zone rushing numbers. Um, yeah. You know, clearly his favorite target is to Robertson, the 6'1", 182 redshirt um, wide receiver, consensus three-star out of North Carolina, 20 receptions, 314 yards. That ranks 37th in the country, so pretty good, 15.7 per catch. Now, yards-wise, he is head and shoulders above the other guys on the team. Um, but a couple guys are, I would say, relatively close to him in, you know, reception-wise. Taylor Moran has 15 receptions, and A.T. Perry has 13. And although Moran has more yards, I just want to hit on Perry real quick because yep. Perry is a six foot five, 212-pound receiver. With that kind of build, got 194 yards, right at 15 per catch. I see his size. I think about our secondary. I feel like there could be potential mismatches there. That worries me a little bit. Now, Moran is from Nova. Um out of Centerville, you know, 5'10", 174, is the leader of the team with two touchdown catches. Uh, <laughs> that 197 yards. Uh, you know, Brian, me and you talked about it a little earlier this week, but they really don't use the tight ends and the running back as part of the passing attack. So, Brian, as you started breaking down, wh- what do they like to do? What is – you know, the things we need to be looking out for where if they're hitting, it's like okay, they're finding their groove in this offense. Um, so, I mean, I'm going to go back to it. Um, the offense tends to go as the success of that long mesh RPO goes. Um, so, okay. what, you know, whether it's the rushing game or the passing game, that's what they want to do. That's how they want to attack you. And when they can have success with it, they can both pop off big runs, but they can also pop off some big plays in the passing game where they get either one-on-one matchups up the seam um, or you've got safeties that are 
looking in the backfield and all of a sudden a guy runs past um, past the safety and he gets a big gain in the passing game. So that's what they like to do. Um, they're only just okay when they're not running kind of that RPO, when they're just lining up and slinging the ball around. Okay. So if we can get them to where they c- – can't have good success on like first and second down with the RPO. We can get them in scenarios where they're more of a, a straight drop back team. And that's where we can take advantage of them because they're not great there. Um, they can still hurt you, but they're not as, as dangerous. They definitely are predicated off um, that run action to get those big shots down the field. What about the receivers? You know, obviously they're missing Sage Sherat, um, who opted out, which makes sense. He had a hell of a year last year. Um, but what are you seeing from these guys I mentioned in their stats? You know, what, what sort of routes, what do they do good that we've got to be looking for on Saturday afternoon? So for Perry, um, the thing that they ran with him a lot is kind of the, the post wheel action. So they'll usually send either, um, Moran or, or Roberson on the wheel and he'll kind of run the post and they'll hit him on the post. Um, they like that play a lot. He's got a good body to kind of catch those. Um, balls over the middle of the field. Um, he's also a stick mover with his size. He's, he's a guy that'll get, you know, a couple catches over the middle, doesn't mind, um, you know, doing that for the team. So occasionally you'll see them hit him over the middle when they're trying to get a first down in some like third and eight or third and 10 situations there. Um, Morin, um, he's good at high pointing the ball despite his height. Um, oh. He'll go up and get it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just, uh, I mean, he plays taller than he is, I guess would be a good way to describe it. And he's also good at stretching defenses laterally. So he, if, if anybody is the guy that's kind of making defenses have to honor sideline to sideline, he's the guy that you're looking for. Roberson is the do-it-all guy. He's kind of the, the, the glue guy in the receiving core. Um, he can hurt you deep. He can hurt you over the middle. Um, shifty. Um, d- does a good job of kind of getting himself into a good spot within zone coverage and and moving the sticks. And the guy you didn't talk about, but the guy I'll highlight is uh, is Green. Um, he is a freshman wide receiver for them, but looks a lot lot bigger than that. I mean, he, this guy looks like a guy that's been in a program for a couple years. Pretty pretty strong looking receiver. Um, they like to hit him deep up the seam. And he's the guy that they'll throw the fade routes to. Um, and he's kind of coming into his own. He's kind of the, the, the fourth option here. Um, but he made a couple big plays in the EVA game that really helped them out. Yeah, pretty highly recruited, probably the highest recruited guy on this team. Um, he was a four-star coming out of Mount Airy. Um, didn't mention in the stats weren't there. Obviously, you look at the tape and you see more out of him. Now, Brian, something I did notice, and I want to kind of ask you, because you, you kind of hit it already. You know, you talk about not being a drop-back and pass team, and, and obviously two of their four games, um, they were down. So they had to drop back and pass. They're not good at protecting the quarterback at all. They are 74th in the country. At, uh, sacks allowed at 16 in four games. So – Literally the bottom rung, similar to BC, similar to Duke that we've discussed on previous. Now, what are you not only seeing from the offensive line, Brian, but I kind of want to ask you, what do you see from them? But what what else do we need to do to attack this offense 
to get them out of those mesh runs and stuff? Sure. So th- let's talk about the offensive line first. So with the offensive line, um, they're m- a much better pass blocking, t- uh, run blocking team than they are pass blocking team. They're not kind of road graders. They're not. They're not an offensive line that's going to really move you off the ball get a lot of pancakes. I mean, they're, they're not that type of, of offensive line. But what they do well is that within that RPO scheme, they get to their blocking responsibilities, and they do a good job of staying on those blocking responsibilities. Um, um, so we're going we're gonna to have to shed tackles. We're going to have to have good run fits. Um, can I ask and, you a question? Yeah. With the mesh and RPO, should we, should we be blitzing a lot? Should we be trying to attack them in those gaps? Personally, I would not want to do that. Why not? Well, number one, if you guess wrong on your blitz, you could be out of position and not have the right leverage in the run game uh, to, to match that mesh, and that could lead pretty much put a safety on an island saying, you know, if he doesn't make the tackle, it's going for a big, big game. Ooh, okay. And, you know, from a running perspective, once you start blitzing, if you don't get there, that's where they can hurt you because they're looking for those kind of one-on-one matchups or single-man matchups in the zone game um, where they can hit you up the seam and hit you deep um, down the sideline on some of those those post routes. So um, okay. I, I would personally be selective with my blitzes. Um, I wouldn't send anything on first down, second down, and third down if it's under eight yards because they, they can still use that RPO game and I feel like that could take advantage of the blitz. Now, if they are in those scenarios where you're pretty sure they're going to be straight drop back, that's when I would blitz. All right. Um, so, that's what that's when I would take advantage of, of that poor offensive line when they don't have that element where you have to kind of dual read. All right. So since clearly my knowledge of what they do on offenses to your more professional opinion is wrong. What do we got to do? What do we need to do to slow them down? So big thing again, is going to be run fits. Make sure that those are, um, that they stay disciplined. They don't over pursue when you've got Walker kind of moving around in the backfield and waiting for things to develop, stay where you need to be, get him to the spill area and then let those guys kind of clean up the trash. Um, Make them drive the field. They love chunk plays. Now, they have the ability to drive the field. They, they run pretty well. They pass pretty well. But they're not great when you have to make them go a long way without getting chunk plays. So if we can do that, um, that'll get them off the field more consistently. Um, now, the other thing we need to make sure is that our safeties cannot get caught with their eyes in the backfield when they run that long mesh RPO. Because that's they, they really love to throw the ball up the seam and they could really hurt us um, on some deep balls. Um, UVA got bit quite a few times. Uh, NC State got bit a couple times in the in the tape that I watched, and uh, we got to make sure that we're not looking in the backfield on that RPO and all of a sudden you know you got Roberson or Perry running past us. Got it. So it sounds like a lot of discipline this week. I am super glad that Diablo will have another full week of practice. Um, anticipating, we did not see Keonta much last week, but anticipating maybe that. He'll have a full week of practice. I think he got cleared either 
Wednesday or Friday of last week, so he either had very limited or no practice um, before last week's game, which is why we didn't see him. Okay, so that makes me feel a little bit better there. Obviously, with Rook, the comments he made earlier this week about being, um, you know, kind of taking him some time to get back to where he was before having the the COVID, um, that makes me feel better. You kind of think the same with Tisdale. That guy starting to get their feet under them, starting to get back feeling better, not only just in the safeties and the linebackers, but just the unit as a whole. I feel like the second half last week, Brian, we saw them kind of come together and really start clamping down. Um, and, you know, I think it made some of us come off a little bit like, okay, that's kind of the units we expected to see, not what we saw the first couple weeks when we're missing players. Yeah, man. Um, like I said, I liked a whole lot the uh, the adjustments that were made at halftime because what they did – in the second half looked a lot better. Um, I know they mixed up, you know, a little bit more uh, man into, into some of the coverages or, or kind of showing man and then still dropping into zone. So they were mixing up coverages a little bit more uh, in the second half. And I think that confused uh, Dracovic a little bit and got some, uh, some negative plays for us that we ended up taking advantage of. Absolutely. All right. A couple other just quick stats. So you, so, you know, folks, so, you know, Brian, um, only converting 38.9% of their third down, so kind of a lower number there. They've only had one turnover all year. Uh. One. One fumble, that's it, all year. So they do play very clean, but they've also played clean in multiple games and had, you know, NC State game we watched kind of, you know, here, and it was – Kind of like, okay, they got down, clearly playing Clemson. You know, you can play clean and still get destroyed by them. Um, I mentioned the red zone rushing attempts. They've had 23 total red zone rush attempts, 15 touchdowns. So pretty solid number there in converting um, because they scored on 21 of them. And kind of go back to last year, that game, which was a fun game to watch. That was a game uh, our buddy Robbie was in town. And we met, I met him at Hurley's and we watched the end of the game there, but it was one of those sort of great performances. But last year, the offense against this offense, they registered seven tackles for loss. So far this year, Wake is allowing eight and a half tackles for loss a game. If Tech hits that eight and a half average, it's going to be a very long night for Sam Hartman because he is going to have to be back passing to your point earlier because if they're not getting three, four yards on those first downs, he's going to have to drop back. Yep. And that, that's what we need to do. If we, if we can get them behind the sticks on early downs, we're going to have success against them. We'll be able to s- slow their offense down. If we don't, you know, it might end up being, you know, one of those things where we've got to kind of outscore them a little bit. So we'll see how that goes. Um, I, I kind of like our chances regardless of the way it goes because I like what we do on offense better, which we're you know going to kind of get to what they do on defense here in a second. So I'll let you start with some of the stats, and I'll jump in there and tell you what I saw on film. All right, yeah, let's throw some interesting stats out here because um, below average defense, in my opinion. Um, they're ranked 57 in total defense, giving up over 450 yards a game. 
5.79 a play. I go to that. I look immediately at the rushing stats because it's what we do best. They are 62nd in the country. They are giving up 198 rushing yards a game at 4.6 per rush. I am sure when you hear that, Brian, you're starting to salivate over there, knowing what we can do with the run. Um, now, I look at the ACC games only. I throw the Campbell game out. They're giving basically 32 points per game up. That's to Clemson, NC State, UVA. Clemson, me and you texted during that game. Clemson literally turned that off after the second quarter. Clemson was already at 37. NC State put 45 on them. And then UVA, well, UVA with really no offensive game plan last week. That was pitiful to watch, especially when you're figures to well you you played uh you played three backup quarterbacks and none of them really played well consistently it was just it was such a weird game plan um like i feel like they might have been better just maybe going out there and running armstead the whole game because at least he's he can hurt you with his feet but he can throw good enough um but they didn't. They ended up, you know, running Stone out there. That was more of the passer. And then you had Gante Thompson. That's more of the runner. And then Armstead that kind of does both okay. <laughs> and and it was just kind of a miss a mix match the whole game that didn't really wasn't effective for them, and especially wasn't effective once Wake kind of took took some time at halftime and and looked at what they were doing and made some adjustments. Absolutely. All right, a couple other real quick stats before you get in deep on the scheme and the personnel. Um, one big problem they have on defense is that the offense is only averaging 26 minutes a game per possession. I mean, I think about the way we're running the ball. If if that offense can't stay on the field, oh, that defense is going to hate us all night. Um, 56 yeah. in the country and surrendering third downs at 45.8. Only um, – Eight quarter, only eight sacks through four games. They are forcing turnovers though. Six picks, three fumbles. And as I stated earlier, with only one turnover, a plus eight turnover margin, which is pretty high up there. Um, so Brian, what are we, you know, when I, when I give you all these stats, does the stats say that they are in a below average defense? And what do we have to look at their scheme and personnel wise that maybe makes them a below to me a below average defense so so let's start with this i don't think they're below average but i think their rushing defense is porous and i think that's where we're going to take some advantage um especially considering that's our that's our strength so um wake likes to line up in a a four two five so very similar front to what we run um play a lot of single high safety um, usually have the other safety either in the box or near the line of scrimmage um, out on a slot receiver or a flexed out tight end or something like that. Occasionally they'll drop him into a two deep look, but that's kind of few and far between. Um, the thing they do best is that they tackle very well. So they're, they're clean on that front. They don't miss very many tackles. They gang tackle well. Um, they don't give up a lot of cheap yards. Okay. But uh, that doesn't mean that there's not some holes that we can take advantage of. Now, the one player that's going to be the problem that we're going to focus on is going to be uh, Boogie Basham, the defensive end. 
Um, probably one of the more balanced defensive ends in the ACC in terms of being good against the run and good against the pass. And he's really quick for a guy that's two, 285 pounds. Um, he has an undetermined 40 time, um, <laughs> but he runs somewhere in, I think, like the, the, the 4'6", 4'7", range um, and has, has good quickness out the gate. So he's a guy that you want to watch for. I mean, you see him a lot of times even when – He's out of the play, chasing it down from behind and making the tackle downfield. So he's going to be a guy to look out for. Um, they play a lot of uh, off coverage uh, to the short or weak side of the, the offense. Um, so towards the boundary, you usually see cornerbacks about 8 to 10 yards off the line of scrimmage. Um, so he might have some advantage to get some short routes, you know, quick routes out to the wide receiver and let him do some stuff in space there um, with them playing that far off. Uh, on a consistent basis. Now, one other thing that they did do when I was watching the UVA game is that they did at times struggle to contain a mobile quarterback. So when Thompson and Armstead were in the game, they were able to bust some runs, especially in the first half. Okay. Looks like they adjusted a little bit in the second half to take some of that away. Um, But uh, I saw Armstead get about a 25-yard gainer. Thompson got a big, um, third down gainer. Um, they got their first led to their first touchdown. Um, got a big run down the sideline for about 35 yards. So they are susceptible to some quarterback runs. And if we, you know, we look back to last week with what Hendon Hooker was able to do in the run game, that's something we might be able to take advantage of as well. Now let's talk about their rush defense in general. It's it's definitely weaker than the past, like I've been discussing here. Um, they do a decent job of setting the edge. Um, but they kind of struggle in the middle. The middle is where they're susceptible. Um, they've got a linebacker that he's probably their weakest link. Uh, I believe he's number eight. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. But uh, a lot of teams ran right at him. He had some struggles um, getting off blocks, shedding blocks. So I think we will probably you know run inside-outside zone, but there's going to be those cutback lanes um, in the outside zone where we can get up and attack in the middle of that defense. And I think that's where we'll get pop off some of those big plays that we've seen Khalil Herbert and, you know, a couple times with uh, Raheem Blackshear uh, busting some big ones. In the secondary, they play a you know, really good zone shell, usually cover three. Um, they don't give up a ton of deep stuff, so we're not going to be probably taking a bunch of shots on them um, unless it's kind of coming off play action where we can get them kind of more one-on-one or um, out in space in zone coverage um, where we can throw behind the linebackers and in front of the safeties. But you can attack them a lot underneath that zone, um, but you got to be patient. Okay. I think that's the big thing we're going to need to do in this game is kind of be patient with the passing game. We're going to need it, but we can't just think that when we go to the passing game, we're just going to you know, break off a bunch of chunk plays and, uh, you know, score some points off those. I think we're going to need to be patient, take take the 8-yarder, take the 12-yarder, take the 5-yarder. If it's there, take it. Don't don't try to force it. Um, but they're, they are susceptible, like I was saying, when, in, in play action when the running game's working. That's where the, the chunk plays and the passing uh, attack came from, especially, like I said, kind of behind the linebackers and in front of the safeties. So that's how I would attack them. Um, Okay. You know, run the ball consistently, run that play action, and just be patient with the ball and don't take chances with the ball. 
Nice, Brian. Um, I think what you're telling us here is with who we've got at the controls, I don't see enforcing anything, you know, deep. And then what you're talking about on the inside, I think we're going to hit here in a couple minutes. Um, a few things that will definitely make sense to who we feel are some of the pivotal players. Um, you know, for, for Wake Forest's defense, they did have to play Clemson. They had to play Wake Forest in Wake Forest's first game. So maybe some of those stats, maybe why I'm feeling there, I look at the numbers and I feel they're below average is just the stats telling me that. But, you know, it's just one of those things where it's like the only team they've really been able to stop is Campbell, who doesn't count, and UVA who couldn't figure out, you know, what to do on offense versus just saying, hey, this worked well against them. This is what we've got to do. That's one thing I don't think with our offense is going to happen. I think we know what our identity is, and we go right after it. And by saying that, Brian, let's go to pivotal players. Okay. Taking over the number one spot this week, in a shock to me when you brought this name out earlier today, but after you just explained how bad they are in the inside, I am now not shocked at all. Taking over the number one spot for total player this week on offense, Brock Hoffman. Brian, care to explain? If we can run between the tackles, we will win this football game. And with Brock making the calls inside there, Brock handling a lot of the the handoff responsibilities in that four-man front um, and making the adjustments with who's going to be up on the linebackers, I trust him and what he does, and I think he's going to feast. And um, I'm going to go ahead and add another name just because we're talking about offensive linemen. Kind of the the 1B here would be Luke Tenuta coming back this week um, and drawing – you know, Boogie Basham on a lot of those uh, any any third down plays where we're dropping back, probably gonna have have Boogie um, coming after him. So I think if 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 he can hold up on the pass pro on on those third and longs, and like I said, I think Brock's gonna be the guy that's gonna help us feast on the running game, and uh, I think the combination should be should be good for us. If those guys can do well, we're probably gonna have a good day. Awesome. Now, the second one, not as shocking when we were discussing just a few minutes ago about how, well, UVA's more mobile quarterbacks ran slipping down one spot this week in the pivot. (laughs) Hendon Hooker. I mean, you know, what he did last week, man, 164 yards is the second most, you know, rushing yards by Virginia Tech quarterback since Michael Vick. It's so impressive. He looked very confident out there. He looked patient. He didn't look worried. He was taking what was given to him. He was stepping out of bounds when he needed to. He was he was essentially avoiding the big shots. And now even more so for Wake Forest with him being fully back. You know, I'm sure I'm sure in their meeting rooms this tell me something like what would be said in that meeting room this week is they're looking at the tape with him breaking one sixty four, juice what he's done, black shears breaking some big plays, the potential for the I mean, what, what can they be think like, you know, what, what is their message? Because it's not one, it's literally you're gonna have to protect the entire field from a, a potential rush. Yeah, I mean, what they're gonna what they're gonna be saying is that you know they're gonna try to 
I think make us earn every yard. I think that's, that's, that, that's the message that they would have to say there. Um, don't let kind of one play beat you because we can attack both laterally and down the field in the rushing attack and in the passing game. I know the passing game hasn't really taken off in terms yeah. of, you know, putting up the big numbers, but with, with Hendon Hooker in there, it really hurts them because he can make all the throws and attack at different levels. Like we were talking about, um, you know, in the BC game, I mean, just because you know, he was effective with his uh, limited number of throws and he attacked different parts of the field. So that meant they had to honor it for four quarters. And I think we're going to see something similar this week. And that's why Hendon Hooker's there. And also because of his legs again, um, you know, we talked about, uh, Armstead and uh, Thompson having some success against Wake Forest in the rushing game. And I think we're going to see some more of that, both from uh, design runs and, you know, from areas where, you know, Hooker just sees a lane and he'll take advantage of it and get up field for a first down. Absolutely. Last one, Brian, you know, we were discussing today as you were kind of telling, talking to me about, you know, those short five yards, five, seven yard routes. We kind of landed that we're going to have at least one wide receiver to need to be a pivotal player and kind of the guy who's, and I think maybe we lean towards him more than anything is Trey getting Nick last week, not being able to play. We went Tay Rob, Davion Robinson. Um, any, any, give me more specifics of why you went him. Cause you know, you felt like he was going to be over Trey. Probably, I'm guessing the injury thing is probably what you're thinking about. Is what are they going to let Trey do as far as that comes? Injuries, and I think, I mean, we're not going to need probably as many big shots um, against this team. Um, and I think guys like uh, Tavion Robinson and James Mitchell are going to have a lot of success. And I, I went with Tavion Robinson just because we're going to need some more output from our wide receiver unit this week. And I think he's going to be the guy to step up just because of the way he, when he gets the ball in his hands, he has a very good job of getting up field, you know, with his vision and uh, kind of getting the first downs and moving the chains for us. So I like what he would bring against this defense, kind of working between the zones and also um, times when we're able to throw it out to him real quick when those corners are in off. Okay. Um, and just letting him kind of get up field and, and read the blocks and make a play. Got it. All right, so there's our top three pivotal players on offense, Brock Hoffman, Hendon Hooker, Tavion Robinson. Let's flip it over to the defense. And, Brian, I feel like every week more and more, it, me and you, we're, when we're putting this together, we're finding it more difficult to do one specific defensive player. It's always the unit. And today, yeah. every week's no difference. I mean, number one, as soon as you started talking about the mesh earlier today when we were running through this, I'm like, it's linebackers, isn't it? And you're like, you're correct. Ding. <laughs> so- Ding. <laughs> um, you know, big thing, get the right fits. Don't over-pursue. And don't get sucked in on the RPO and, you know, put your uh, your safeties out on islands. Um, I, I just think that's the big thing. If, if the linebackers can play disciplined in this game, we're going to have a lot of success. All right, I want to ask you this question. Who's starting at backer Saturday? Tisdale. Tisdale, okay. I, didn't, I, didn't, I wanted to get your opinion on that. And obviously, again, more the more games that go by, 
as I stated earlier, the better these guys are in more playing shape. So let's hope they're back to their normal selves. Um, second one, a little interesting, Brian, because as we discussed it, my num- the number three one is the one I had too, but you pushed me hard for saying our corners. Um, why is our corners you feel is it is it because of the some of the stuff you're talking about of them they like to push is that really the big reason you feel the corners are pushing the ball downfield whether outside or um you know up the seam corners are going to come in um come up big for us if if, if we're going to have some success to hold that passing game down um you know we could easily say here the entire defensive backfield um because the safeties are going to have to make sure that they're keeping their eyes I discipline um, on that RPO, um, but the corners are going to have to play well because they do take shots. They're not a team that's going to, you know, throw it in front of you where you can come up and make a tackle. They're going to try to push the ball down the field. So you, we've got to make sure that we're not, you know, giving up those chunk plays. So the cornerback play is going to be very important um, across the board, um, regardless of who we see in there getting the significant amount of snaps, whether it's, you know, Chapman, whether it's Taylor, Murray, obviously Connor's going to be in there pretty consistently at the whip, but yeah, you know, the, the, all those guys are going to be really important um, in this game, and hopefully they, they they play a good one and keep those guys in front of them um, for four quarters. All right. Now, number three on the list, the one I felt should be number two, but sometimes Brian has the override here. <laughs> like, uh, you know, te- he is the – Officially, he is the executive technical producer of this program, technical being the key term. Um, but I want defensive tackles. Um, did they play out of their mind last week against BC? No. Did they play better than they did against UNC? Even my uneducated football eyes could see that they did. And Deshaun Crawford got some run late in that game. We really need him back. I love Pollard to death but Pollard's still undersized. And, you know, when teams come at him, he can get pushed out of the way. Um, Pollard's smaller than Basham. Yes, he is. He's, he's like 275 pounds. Yeah. He, you, know, you, you know, you talk about getting him on a pass rush, oh, he can eat a lot of those guards and centers. Just He's just that quick off the line. But when it comes to the run, it's struggling. Um, yeah. Brian, other reasons we put the defensive tackles here because you did agree that they deserve to be in the top three. <laughs> yes, they're they're going to be important because we're going to need them to do a couple things. Number one is that they're going to need to spill those running backs out there where the safeties can make plays on the edge. Connor can make tackles on the edge. So if we can spill those consistently and still have guys there to to get the tackle, that's going to be important. And by safety's getting the tackle, I don't mean safety's getting the tackle eight yards down the field. I mean safety's filling at or near the line of scrimmage um, and bringing them down. That That's what ideally we would want to do is make sure that we don't let them get to the second level before we've got a guy there to bring him down, whether it's tackling in, in between the tackles or those uh, defensive tackles getting um, the running backs to spill outside and either run the hump or have to make decisions before they're ready. Um, because with that slow, with that slow mesh, man, they're going to give us opportunities to, to get, to put negative plays in their backfield. Um, but we've got to get off the blocks. All right. 
Coming in 2021, everyone, Brian Siegler's weekly segment of Fill Your Gap coming to YouTube. <laughs> I'm going to just keep pushing you, and I think you would do it every week from a pro and a collegiate level. Just probably sparingly watching the game, then fill it. Let me just write down the real quick time of that. I'll pull it later and put it on my Fill Your Gap segment. Yep. All right, Brian. Did you see the uniform reveal? I did. White with the maroon helmet. All whites. All whites. Ice, baby. Uh, really just a slim, crisp look. Kudos to them. They let a big man model it this week. Kudos to yes. <laughs> Big Brock Hoffman was wearing the 25 in the promo. He looked good. Man. You know, as an offensive lineman, you know, you love to see them get a little bit of love there. Um, Absolutely. You, know, you you don't usually see the big man out there rocking the you know the sub fifty jersey, um, <laughs> you know with the uh, with the light with the lighting going and the and all that man. So it was nice to see uh, a big man get some love there. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking at the video again. I love the way that the hokey stone looks in the maroon because it is. If you look really close, it's that embedded stone. It's such a cool look. And, you know, with the whites, with the maroon helmet, such a sleek look down there where I think I read today, I think Wake Forest sold out. Like, apparently, some VT fans, like, went bonkers and just bought up maybe three to 4,000 tickets. So it could be significantly a pro hokey crowd of the, like, 8,000 people there, which is awesome. Um, who got the 25 this week, Brian? That would be Chamari Connor, who had a big game against BC, you know, forcing a turnover, you know, led the team in tackles, um, did really yeah. good things against the run, did you know was was a lot more effective in the uh, in the zone um, in the passing game than he's been the last few weeks. So um, if if he can kind of figure out his spot in that zone, he's going to be damn impressive because he's so good against the run, man. He is, man, and, you know, he's one of those guys that you feel like if he can continue to show out, he can probably find his way to the NFL. Um, you know, being slightly out of position, it kind of stinks for him. But I feel like I look at Jamari's body, and maybe I'm just just not knowledgeable of, you know, human anatomy. I feel like Jamari Connor could gain somewhere between – 10 to 15 pounds and be a weak side linebacker, a true weak side linebacker in the NFL. Am I stupid or do you, do you think it's true? It wouldn't be unheard of in certain systems. Um, okay. You know, I mean, I think he, if, if he gets the zone concepts down a little bit more, he could definitely play in like the hybrid, um, you know, four, three Tampa two stuff that, my Colts are playing right now. Um, so there, there, there's potential there, no doubt. Um, he'd probably have to throw on a few pounds, but yeah. if he could throw on a few more pounds and, and maintain his speed, I think we could definitely uh, have a conversation there. Absolutely. All right. Well, Brian, let's get to it. Breakdown's done. Pivotal players revealed. Jersey uniform and 25 discussed what is you actually no take it back Brian. you led last week okay you gonna go you gonna lead on here i will lead this week um brian uh, 
I, I think is as I texted you a few days ago, Bon, this game didn't worry me. And then it worried me. And then I looked more at the stats and it doesn't worry me. I personally think in every facet of this game, at every level, we are better than them. I do. Okay. Um, them with only one turnover this year, I think that usually numbers catch up to you eventually. Sam Hartman's thrown 10 picks through 13 games. He has zero through four. It's time for a couple turnovers from them. And I think this might shock you. Hokies are going to win by four touchdowns. 52. Oh. <laughs> okay. 52 okay. I you think put a big one, round number out there. Big one. 50 burger. And okay. potentially the way how their run defense, it would not shock me if as it gets later in that game, you peek down and say, Are we gonna get four hundred yards? Okay. What you I'm, think? I'm not right there with you, but I, I definitely am predicting a pretty big um big win for the Hokies here. I've got forty five twenty seven. Okay. You're pretty close. 45-27. So we're both predicting, you know, you know, over three score win for the Hokies in this game, folks. Um, and, and I just think it's it's what we do, what they don't do. It's just a lot of things that go into it. All right. So we are going to essentially turn the Hokie stuff off, and we're going to go – to our picks for the week, our ACC and college football picks. Um, as we discussed on Saturday night, because we were having a good time, Brian was outside, a few brewskis in him in the wonderful Smoky Mountain air. Hell of a week for us last week, Brian. You went six and three. I went seven and two. So we're going to do it again this week. Um, we've been on a roll lately, man. We've uh, we've both been above 500 for the, what, the last four weeks. You you're on a four roll four way roll. I'm on a two week roll. Okay, okay. Yeah, you're on. I'm you, doing- <laughs> you're really I, I'm finally catching up to you. I caught one last week. I caught one the week before. Um, after kind of jumping out on you early in the season. But either way, if you were betting us last week, you would have won some money. All right, Brian. Let's start it up here. Let's start with some of the early games. Let's start with NC State, UNC. UNC laying 15. NC State starting quarterback Devin Leary out for four to eight weeks with the fibula break. What you think here, man? If Leary was playing, I would take NC State and the points, but eh, I don't. I don't like it with Hockman in there. I don't like it UNC coming off an embarrassing loss and something to prove. So I'll take UNC to cover the 15. Yeah, UNC coming off the loss. If Leary was in there, this would probably be, I'd say, like seven and a half. Yeah. Significantly less. Seven and a half, eight and a half, somewhere in that range. I would be tempted to go with NC State if Bailey Hot, if Hotman hadn't played, you know, a few times already this year, where essentially they know what they're getting. Yeah. If he hadn't played against Wake and against us, where he against Wake he did a phenomenal job. Against us, we essentially exposed him and he essentially got bent for Larry. I'd be the same way. UNC burned us last week, though, Brian. They 
absolutely lit us on fire. That was of the games we that we agreed on. I think that and the Syracuse game are the only ones that burned us. So, yeah. you know, we were five and two in the games we picked together. But I'm with you. I think UNC off the embarrassing loss. NC State without their starting true starting quarterback. I think UNC rolls. I think UNC probably gets to forty. I I can't see. Uh, I can't see NC State keeping within three scores. All righty, let's go to the real fun one, Brian. Here we go. Because when I gave you this number a little while ago, you went like, "Was that lower earlier in the week?" I'm like, "No, it's been this all week." You're like, "Jesus." Syracuse, Clemson. Clemson is laying forty-five points. Yikes! But hold on. Yep. Last week they almost covered that in the first half against Georgia Tech. It is true. It is true. Seven. They pushed it. So. I don't think Clemson is going to go crazy Clemson this week and just annihilate them. Um, I do think maybe last week was a statement after the, uh, after the loss or after the, uh, the win against Miami where they, they're okay, but they didn't look all dominant. I also think too, putting it on Georgia tech, they put it on them in Atlanta. They recruit the hell out of Georgia. They don't really recruit. Troop New York or that area whatsoever. I'm going to take Syracuse in the points. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I think Clemson still gets the 50, but I think uh, Syracuse will get a couple scores to, you know, cover it by like a field goal of four points. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they have a 60-burger again in them, so I, I'm, I'm going to do the same thing and take Syracuse in the 45 points. It's one of those games where you – we're going to be sitting there on Saturday, keeping an eye on this game. It's only like 14, 21. Like, just just stop for a couple minutes. Let the, let Nugget Lagley play a few drives in the first half. Please. All right. Brian, next, FSU Louisville. Louisville is laying four and a half points to FSU coming off the massive victory. Uh, let me look real quick here. This game is going to be at Louisville High Noon. What you think, Brian? At Louisville High Noon, Louisville. Uh, Louisville laying four and a half. Over under is 61. If you want an idea of what the Vegas betters or Vegas line makers think this game kind of scoring is going to be. Oh man, this is this is one that I've been like thinking about since we started putting this thing together, man. Um, <laughs> because I don't know what Louisville team to expect, and I don't know what FSU team to expect, and, and that's kind of been the theme of the last couple of weeks, man. Um, I don't think Louisville is going to play as bad offensively in back to back weeks as they as they did last week. So I'm going to take. Louisville to cover the four and a half. Louisville is going to cover the four and a half. All right. Yeah, these teams are like, you know, just, you know, they're, they're schizophrenics. 
they see yeah. things. They do things that make no godly sense. Um, you think they're both terrible, then they, you know, Louisville freaking gets in a rock fight with Notre Dame and South Bend, which no one saw coming. And then, you know, essentially FSU plays. It's the first, the best first half probably in the last two years down there, hanging, you know, essentially hanging enough points to hang on versus UNC. Um, I think FSU found something last week offensively. I think they, they started finding it at Notre Dame um, with the new quarterback. Uh, I, I, his name escapes me right now, so I'm going to pull it up real quick because – I want to make sure I'm looking at the right guy here. Um, efforting, efforting, efforting. Efforting. Jordan Travis. I think they found something in Jordan Travis to where I think it will be a high-scoring game. That 61 number does not look appealing to me at all. I feel like you've got to be on the over in that game. Um, but I'm going to take FSU, Brian. I think FSU wins this game outright. Um as well. Okay. Okay. And you know what? I I can't dispute that because <laughs> I, I could have easily moved in that same direction. Um, but but if you tell me at three o'clock, Curtis, you were wrong about this game. And, um, yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I don't think either of us have great confidence with that pick. Just we don't have great confidence in who either of these teams are. Yeah, the confidence in this pick of all the games we're picking, I think this one might be the lowest. (laughs) Might be the lowest of the ones we're picking. All right. Yeah. Brian, next, Pitt-Notre Dame. Notre Dame laying 10.5 points. Notre Dame coming off, you know, against one of the worst defenses, not only ACC but the country, Um, only putting up 12 points goes against that Pitt defense. Where it appears the Kenny Pickett thing is going to be on like a last second thing where, all right, if he's playing, he really hasn't practiced. Um, I'm going to, I think Notre Dame is going to win this game, but I do think Pitt is going to make the cover. Um, I think Pitt's got a good enough defense. I think they will try to run the clock. They'll try to make this like a 21 17 game and try to hope they can hold on to it. Um, you know, the confidence in this one either because, you know, it's lower because Notre Dame could be like, listen, we're better than this. Even though Pitt's a good defense, we can score on them. But I, I can't see laying 10 and a half. Um, not the way Notre Dame is playing the last couple weeks. Okay. I'm going in the other direction. All right. I don't uh, similar to Louisville. I don't see Notre Dame putting up another nothing burger in a row. Uh, they've been a consistently up and down team with Book running this offense the last couple of years, and I think that's going to continue. And last week was kind of a down week, and I think you're going to see a more consistently consistent offense from Notre Dame. And if they if they can be consistent on offense, they're going to win. And I think they'll win by maybe 13. It's going to be close. It's probably like a backdoor cover. Field goal late to kind of put it out of reach. All right. Um, I'm watching Sports Center. Uh, did you see the, oh, you Jones- see the Daniel Jones run? I saw the Daniel Jones run where he got like 23 miles an hour, which is crazy. 
I'm looking at Sports Center. I think I sent this to you. Did you see the John Rom shot? The absolute no. tank. Hold on. This is live, folks. He, he, Brian needs to see this for the simple fact of John Rom's number one golf player in the world. And how he hit this shot um, makes hacks like me feel great. So I'm going to be sending this while I set up the next one. So, Brian, send <laughs> it to you now while we set All up. Right. Georgia Tech at Boston College. Um, I'm trying to find why this happens. Tell me when you see it. It's coming. Here we go. Because we're already agreeing on this one, I know. <laughs> Georgia Tech, Boston College. Boston College is laying three and a half. Everybody currently that's been listening to this podcast over the last few weeks knows Brian's feelings on how Georgia Tech has treated him. <laughs> Very they, true. Hey, John Rom hit that one like I hit that one. <laughs> just a dead right shot, like boom. What? Why is that ball over there? Best golf player think, in the world. That thing sliced hard. Terry <laughs> freaking just chunked it. All right, Brian. BC land three and a half against Georgia Tech. We saw BC last week. They are a good, competent team. Georgia Tech is not. Give me BC. And, and somebody explain why this line is three and a half to me. I would have taken this at eight and a half or nine. So <laughs> definitely give it to me at three and a half. But I'm going to be getting on the bookmakers and being like, listen, I'll take, give me, give me nine points. How much <laughs> extra do I get for getting the next yeah. five? <laughs> what, what, what's the multiplier for, for taking nine? <laughs> it would probably be pretty good. You probably lay like hundred bucks on it. You know, I'd say probably take to nine if they're like this. You probably hundred to win like three, three and a half. Yeah. Yeah. You'd be sweating, of course, but, you know. All right, Brian, let's go Saturday night down in Miami, UVA, Miami. Miami is laying 12 and a half. As of yesterday or today, I believe, the Ginger Tebow still not cleared concussion protocol. And, and all, you know, of course, we're going to give that team great. They're the primary rivals. It's good. Brian, we're going on almost, what, 14 days now since that happened. That's that's not a good sign. We're, we're getting into, is this a Sidney Crosby situation? Good, good, good way to put it. Yep. And hopefully not for them, because regardless of how we feel about UVA, I want UVA's best. I want to beat them at their best. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, you know, best wishes to him to get back on the field. I hope it's not a Sidney Crosby situation where he's out for, you know, several months and not, you know, a couple weeks or, or three or four weeks, you know, whatever it may be. So um, and given the fact that he's not playing and the clusterfuck I saw against uh, Wake Forest with three different quarterbacks running three different systems and none of them running it consistently enough to really make a case for an offense. I'm going to take Miami and the points or to cover the, the, the 12 and a half. Miami at 12 and a half. Let me put that on here. Um, yeah. To your point, you, you, you don't want any player whatsoever to be out like that or the rivals or not. Um, 12 is a, that's a big number. Cause you know, if all right, we discussed UVA 
before this season started. We, we, me and you kind of are both, they're, they're going to have a pretty good defense. They're going to have to win some low-scoring games. That defense is just looking bad. And I don't know if it's the mentality thing with the COVID situations or if it's just, you know, not having to now think about not having Bryce Hall, where the back half last year, they didn't have to think about that. Um, and so many other things. I didn't expect it. You know, you told me they lost to Wake Forest. I'd be like, yeah, yeah, they, they probably did. They, they, you know what? They probably lost to them 23-17. You tell me they lose by 40. And then we see the Duke game where Duke scored on them. Duke had numerous chances to put that many points up on them. You know, and it's just one of those things where it's like, I'm with you, Brian. I've got to lay 12 and a half because the offense isn't going to score points. And the way Miami played last week off that loss was very impressive. And as I heard someone say this week, they don't think that's Manny Diaz. They think that's De'Aaron King. They think it's having a guy like him in that locker room that said, hey, listen, Put last week out of your mind. We didn't win the game. We need to go keep winning. So um, Miami lay the 12 and a half. Um, I, I, I see Miami getting – I see Miami getting to 30-plus. And uh, I, I, I can't see UABA. If they get to 17 or 21, it will be a miracle. All right, Brian. Let's I, go. I agree with you, man. I think, like I said, I think it's going to be, like I said, without Ginger Tebow, that's going to be a, a struggle. All right, let's go out of conference. Two big matchups this weekend. Big Ten football is back, which for you know for college football world, whether you hate the Big Ten, love the Big Ten, respect it. It's awesome. We're going to see more teams playing, more games on Saturday, um, in the. Two matchups we're looking at here, one's from the Big 12, one's from the Big 10. Let's start with the Big 12 matchup. Oklahoma State, Iowa State. This is in Stillwater, number six, Oklahoma State, 17, Iowa State. Oklahoma State undefeated at 3-0, laying 3.5. Brian, what are you feeling? Actually, take that back, Brian. You led the last one, so I'm going to go with this one. You take this. Um, tell me what you got. I, I got to leave with this one. As much as I like Matt Campbell, I think he's a hell of a coach. I've never seen Oklahoma State play this good a defense. Yet to be unleashed is Chuba Hubbard. I think even as good as Iowa State is on defense, um, you know, I, I don't. I think eventually you're not going to be able to hold him down. The other big one, and this is big for me, Oklahoma State in their first three games where they've been playing sort of a kind of muddy ball, not what you expect from a Mike Gundy team. You usually expect Mike Gundy, they're tossing it, they're scoring points. They've been without their first-string quarterback. Spencer Sanders returns this week. I think that three-and-a-half is way too low. I think he's going to come back. I think they're going to be more dynamic passing the ball, which is going to open up Hubert Hubbard some lanes. Not a legal limit bet, but you can put quite a bit on it. Give me Oklahoma State, lay the three and a half. I'm right there with you, buddy. Um, I, I, I like what Iowa State does on defense, but I just think that, as you said, 
kind of getting back on the right track on offense, I think it's going to be big for Oklahoma State. I think they're going to be able to score enough points. I think it's going to be kind of like a seven to ten point uh, victory for Oki State. So yeah, give me the give me Oki State to cover the three and a half. All right, we're on the same one there. And then Brian, Saturday night, we go to Minnesota. Minnesota at Michigan, or Michigan at Minnesota, Michigan, the road favorite, laying three. Now, Brian, there has been some discussion this week that potentially on Saturday night, there potentially is going to be snow showers. Oh. It's right now, it's kind of saying... They're showing Friday, but people are saying it could be held off. Either way, it's going to be cold on Saturday night. Um, game time tick looks to be around 28 degrees on Saturday night. <laughs> so it's going to be cold. It's going to be chilly. It's going to be chilly. What do you think in this one, Brian? Do you think Minnesota keeps the uh, stuff going on they had last year, or do you think it's uh, – Crash back to earth. Bateman came back. They got their quarterback. What do you think? Uh, give me Minnesota in the three, man. Combining, I know we're not really talking about fans, but being at home and being chilly, um, you know, really, you know, talk about a warm-up game. I mean, there's not there's not a warm-up game here, and the game they're having is not warm. So um, I, I, I like the home team in these type of scenarios. Um, I like what Minnesota was doing last year. I think Michigan is a good team, but Michigan has not shown up a lot in some of these big games. And I think to start the year, this is a pretty important game for them. And I, I think it's, it's going to be one of those down to the wire games, but I think, uh, I think, I think Minnesota is going to end up probably pulling the outright victory here. All right. Well, I'm going to have to disagree with you on that. Okay. Okay. Um, And don't get me wrong. Jim Harbaugh has definitely lost. I I just saw it here a little while ago, two and 12 versus like top 15 teams or top 20 teams. So he's not been good since he essentially came back to the college game. Um, But it's just one of those things where I'm sitting here and it's just like, ah, I, I I can't put my finger on it, but it's just I think they started getting over the hump this year. Maybe it's because he coached my Niners to a Super Bowl, you know, almost a decade ago now, which is pretty wild. But they've not been a bad team since they've been back. You know, like six of the top 25 losses are to Ohio State, right? So you take that equation, the record doesn't look as bad as it should. So I'll take Michigan in this one. Got to disagree on some stuff here and there, right, Brian? All right, man. Well, All right. so what are you smoking this weekend, see? All right, I'm actually going to my mom's this weekend. Oh, okay. but I will be, I will be uh, smoking something there. Ooh, doing a little. Uh, a little pork butt on Saturday. Nothing major. Just doing some uh, some pulled pork. 
doing some coleslaw. Mm. Probably do some baked beans. So should be should be a good one. Um, but I will I will be doing it away from uh, away from home. But I will have uh, everything ready to go for the game. Half smoke will travel right there, Mr. Brian Siegel. Yes, sir. Uh, anything breaking other than Daniel Jones' twenty-three mile an hour run? <laughs> and the ghost tackled him. And the ghost tackled him. Um, well, I'm not the Eagles can't that. stop Gallman, so you know. <laughs> Somebody probably started him. There's people cursing on the daily fantasy things, just cursing their heads off. Like, why is Wayne Gallman the lead running back right now? Why? Why, why, why? It's football, man. All right. Well, that is going to wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe for your podcast on our favorite source, including Spotify, Amazon, and Apple Podcasts. Rate, review, leave us some messages. We'd love to hear what you guys think. As always, we let our buddy Jason Long play us out. Catch him on Spotify and Apple Music. We thank you for listening. And as always, let's go. Hokies.